0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: I'm sick with this. I'm sick with this since you wasn't there for it. Life's judgement, my own sweet down didn't teach whatever. All I recognize simple things.
0: a good one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, just like every week, Shane Told, as I take you in with me and dig deep into the minds of other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. I am stoked on this episode. The one and only Jonathan Davis of Korn is here. And I know you guys know Korn. They pretty much invented and possibly perfected new metal before anyone else even tried to play it. Absolute legends. I am so excited to have Jonathan here to talk about, well, pretty much everything. This is an action-packed episode. Hells yeah. Before I get into that, some things to inform you about. First of all... I am available to be contacted. Hit me up. I got email. It's leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. We have a Facebook page. Search it. Like us on there. And I read all my emails, so hit me up if you have any suggestions for future guests or you want to give me some love, whatever it is, all good. If you're not so happy, for whatever reason, we do have the hate line. Call one 666 hate Leave me a message of hate And don't hold back You can say whatever you want I will hear it I may laugh at you I may cry I'm a, I'm a, I got feelings I'm an emotional guy Again, the number 657-666-HATE Just announced My band Silverstein is going on tour A very special tour celebrating 15 years since our first record came out when Broken is easily fixed. Blows my mind it's been that long, but nevertheless, we are going on the road with Hawthorne Heights, As Cities Burn, and Capstan. It's an awesome, awesome tour. Going to most major cities across America. Tickets are on sale now, and they're going really, really fast. Like, well over half sold on some of these dates. So, if you want to come, check out... Us playing that whole album And then also doing the greatest hits set as well Check it out at WhenBrokenIsEasilyFixed.com I know that's a mouthful Probably just search Silverstein Tour And it'll it'll pop up We got VIP available for that as well And uh, not to be missed A great lineup And we're going to put together something Very, very special People are always saying to me Shane, I love the show Love it But how can I help? What can I do? to make sure you don't ever stop doing this thing. And let me tell you, there's a couple ways. The first way is just to tell a friend, tell a loved one, please spread the word. That is how this thing started. We didn't have anything fancy at all. It was just me with a couple microphones and here I am talking to some friends. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and here I am now 140 something episodes later. That's because of you guys. That's because of you guys spreading the word And thank you so much for that. But the second way is by joining the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. And for as little as the price of a high-end coffee, it's like $6, I'd say, like, you know, for a real nice one, you get bonus content, bonus episodes, more interaction with me, with exclusive Q&A sessions. You can hear me play some tunes, patches in the mail every three months, merch delivered to your house, and you get to join an amazing family of people just like you. Fans of the show, fans of music from all over the world, and we've become great friends. We're hanging out at shows, we're traveling overseas to meet up. It's a beautiful thing, shout out to my sinners worldwide. If this sounds like something you need, something you want to check out, please do. Again, it's only $6 a month, okay? The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash access And remember, this is what helps this show, you know, keep going. It helps me keep the lights on around here. So, again, that link, LeadsingerSyndrome.com slash all access. Also, a quick shout out to some of the new sponsors. I know you've been hearing from them over the past few weeks. All awesome companies with a variety of products that are truly great. It definitely helps me out when you guys check out that stuff. So, if it sounds interesting, take the plunge. I don't sponsor anything on here, I don't back. We got a great new sponsor this week, RxBar, RxBar.com. Amazing protein bars. There will be more about them later in the show, not to be missed. All right, everybody. Are you ready? We are finally getting into it. Here is my conversation with Jonathan Davis of Corn. Are you ready? hello there he is how 's it going man hey.
2: it's going good man how are you
0: i'm great i'm great thanks for uh thanks for doing this no problem it's uh it's a really a pleasure to to speak with you tonight so uh how's everything going on your end how are things
2: awesome can't complain I have been working with corn and doing my thing so i 'm really really happy at the yeah. moment
0: it's yeah good. man i'm here i'm here with Jonathan Davis on the podcast of corn uh and of solo stuff and of so many things 2018 so many milestones big congrats on 25 years of corn 20 year anniversary of follow the leader 20 years of sobriety
2: yeah it's a lot of shit going on it's crazy (laughs) a lot of good shit it is
0: and how are you feeling just you know i guess you're just working hard like always
2: yeah i don't ever stop you know um i'm always i got a studio here in bakersfield where i always hang out and i'm always working on stuff um either the corn or my solo stuff or any anything just making music i want to do that i got three sons but one of them's already left (laughs) he's older um nathan's doing good he does music on his own now so he's doing his thing but i have a 13 year old and an 11 year old so i'm constantly taking care of them too so it's uh it's fun, but, yeah, you that's know, what for- I like doing. It keeps me young.
0: All right, no, full-on full on dad mode, well-documented that you're, you know, you're a, a family man.
2: Yeah, it's good. I mean, back in the day, I was crazy, but now it's cool. I, I really enjoy just raising my boys. <laughs> Is it hard? Uh,
0: Is it hard when you have to go on the road to, to leave them? It must be difficult.
2: It, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. But um, you got to do that because I want them to have a great future, be able to go to college and do things that they need to do to be successful in life. So um, they get that. Absolutely. But it's always it's nice to come home and see them and then be able to go do things we like doing out here.
0: Absolutely, man. And you got the solo record finally yes. out. I read it was basically sitting on the shelf for 10, full 10 years. years.
2: 10 full years it sat on the shelf. That's I mean insane. The, only song, the only song that I did recently was back in January of this year was um, Walk On By. And uh, I did... Yeah, on that album, that was the newest one. But the rest of the other songs, most of them were completed. I had to re-sing some things here and there. or yeah. It's it just really minimal stuff. They were down, like, what it is is, is, is it how it was 10 years ago? <laughs> I haven't I done mean, anything different.
0: It must have been so weird revisiting those songs, because I'm sure some of them you hadn't thought about in years, or maybe even <laughs> forgot existed
2: no man i mean i always had them i always played them in my uh dressing room at corn you know we're doing corn shows like when my dressing room, get ready and stuff i have like a vault of tons of songs that i've worked on over the years so those always came up and other things that i've done um it was just really depressing that it never got out And um, right yeah. everybody that heard it i played it for all kinds of people and they're like man you have to get this out I'm like i don't know I mean, over the years of different managers we worked, they really wanted corn to just keep going. And this is how it was, it was set up that I had no time to put anything solo out. So finally, we have some time off. we got new management that believes in the project. I hooked up with Samarian and Ash, and he saw my vision, and we partnered up. And now it's out, and I couldn't be happier.
0: No, so. that's, it's awesome. I mean, it just took you saying, like, fuck you. I'm putting it out, basically, was what it I'm sounds like. I'm putting it
2: out. Let's just do this. And yeah. I got it done, and it's out. And now, I mean, it's, I'm going to have some new stuff coming out soon, uh, more solo stuff. I'm going full on. It's just not some vanity project. I'm really going to go for it. I'm still, I'm working on new music now, so totally, man. Um, and, it's going to be
3: awesome.
0: And you do, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not just a vanity project. It's not just something you're putting out and forgetting about it. You tour this project too. You tour it a lot. Yeah,
2: I tour it a lot. I'm leaving this weekend to go for a gig in yeah. Columbus, Ohio. And then uh, I got other plans to do some more touring on it too, so um
0: no, I haven't um, seen. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, I'm very happy that I have the opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah, no, and I haven't seen you perform solo before. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this obviously have seen Corn and, and know what you do with that. But how how is it different when you do a solo tour? Do you, I mean, obviously you're going to play a, a bulk of stuff from, from Black Labyrinth, but do you play some Corn stuff? Do you play some covers? No Corn no stuff.
2: I play no no Corn stuff. If you want to see me do Corn, I'll do. Go to a corn show. <laughs> oh,
0: sure, sure. No, of course, but, um, but the reason I ask yeah. that is just because you've got, like, corn is so much material. Yeah, I'm there's sure ton- there's stuff you, you, you know, you can't always play.
2: The first tour I ever did was called Alone I Play and that's when I just did The Queen of the Dam. That's what inspired this whole thing was I only did right. The Queen of the Dam songs and I didn't have, we only had, those are four songs or five mm-hmm. songs. So I needed songs to fill up to make a show so I, I did corn songs that corn never plays. And that was fun and it was good, but, I wanted to do original material, and that's why I went in and I wrote Black Labyrinth. And then I was thinking, like, maybe we should throw in a couple of corn songs that people who will like. It. But no, you know, what? I don't want to do that. That's that's corn, and that's where I go do the corn thing. This is something completely different. My my solo shows are an experience. It's more about you relaxing and and watching me do my music and enjoying it in a different way. Because if I was going to do some heavy crazy stuff, which I have, it's just very different from corn. But if I was going to do that, I'd save that for kind of like a corn. This is a different totally different vibe, the black yes. lab, and stuff. but I'm not going to just make like, let's just put it. So black lab is that project and that vibe. My next thing might be completely different. I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want to be confined by genres or any kind of thing. I make all kinds of music. So yeah. hopefully um, people will dig that about me. I'm an artist, man. I just, I love music. I really do. I try to learn something new every day and experiment. And I really, it's, it's my therapy. It's what keeps me alive. So, um, I enjoy so, doing it
0: that so much. And there's the 20 years of sobriety coming out. Um, I wouldn't mind going back if you don't mind and just start sort of talking about some of the old, the old days, getting the band started, your early life. I know it's been very well documented. You had a very rough upbringing in Bakersfield where Whatever, you still yeah. live.
2: Yeah, I still live here. I mean, it's just, it's a tough town it's tough i think everybody's got a story about it no one came was up ranking was perfect i don't think mine has just come from a broken home divorce at a very early age and stuff that happened so that's what it was and that's what turned me and you know gave me the fuel to get out my get out whatever i was trying to get out at those times in the early days of corn um it was uh necessary for me to go through that to get to where i am at now that i am now right. um right. it's the way i dealt with music was the way i dealt with um those the pain that i had inside of me and i grew up in a music store man i grew up around music my father was a musician and played in bands my mother danced and like theater my stepfather sang um music all around so um that's Makes what i wanted sense. to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I've always wondered as you've grown up and become obviously very successful if your relationship with your family changed. You know, was there ever I like never a... had a
2: problem with my family. Oh, I no? had problems okay. with what I know I had problems with what outsiders did and my family didn't understand or didn't believe things that were going on. That's the only problem I had. I love my mother and my father dearly. Oh, that's great. And they did everything they could possibly do, you know. Now that I'm older I get it. I think any kid growing up um hates their parents. And when you get to be mm-hmm. my age and you look back, you fucking understand. You're like, oh, fuck.
0: I'm a dick. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, totally. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's – so, with your kids too, I mean, obviously now you understand it too. Having raised one it. kid all the way to adulthood now.
2: Yeah, I get it. And I just wanted to – I'm very hands-on. It's because I think that in the shuffling of the times back there, they were hustling, trying to make ends meet. And I wasn't really on the – uh I was in the back for it wasn't that much. That wasn't important, but they were too busy trying to make a living to keep me fed. Let's put it that way. Totally. So for me and my kids, it's about me spending quality time with them. They get sick of me. I'm always up in their ass. Always. <laughs> I'm always there. I'm like, we're going to go do this. We're going to do that. We're gonna <laughs> family plays together, stays together. Yeah. We just, I'm constantly with them. So they're used to that nice, what kind of family I had that I wanted. And I wanted to, um, Enjoy, so that's what I do. Them.
0: Absolutely. Do you bring your kids on the road with you when, when uh, ever possible?
2: Yeah, I mean they're coming with me this
3: weekend. Sick.
2: Um, when they're out of school, it's it's all good. But right, I try to keep right. them as is normal and out of that you know as possible. So, to me, I'm just dad. So yeah. we go do that. It's fun, and then I come back, and it's time. It's great man. to be normal
0: again. If you're in tech, you've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link L-S-S to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit, and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons, whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get fifteen percent off your order at buyraycon.com/slash. LSS. That's B U Y R A Y C O N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buy Raycon dot com slash LSS. When I first heard your band, I'm 37 years old. When I first heard your band, I was in high school. And I'll never forget. I remember the first song I heard was the song Divine. And okay. the ending, you know, the, fuck you, I'm fed up with you, you know, <laughs> yeah. th- that part. And I was like, this is like Rage Against the Machine on fucking steroids. And I'd never <laughs> heard anything so heavy, so do- tuned so low. And I kind of yeah. wonder where this all came from, because you guys really were pioneers.
2: This shit came from Bakersfield. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in this town, um... There's a lot of <laughs> dark and angsty and different shit, but I mean, it's just it, we didn't try. It's just how the band. I mean, the band was already formed when I got into it was a brother band called Creep, and they were playing more kind of like this happy funky stuff with a singer that sounded like Lane Stanley. Yeah. And then before that, they were in a band called LAPD with our dear friend Richard Morrell, and that was just a straight like Chili Peppers funk kind of like ripoff thing. So when i got in the band about this it was more happy but then it turned minor i started singing minor over this stuff and it mm-hmm. started turning darker and darker and once they had the final piece of the puzzle i'll never think that that they really had the final piece when head joined the band three months before me head was actually a tech for james um and would hang out Reggie, we, they all, Reggie and Head and I went to school together, junior high school together. Yeah, and I went to high school with Reggie. I grew up with with Phil D. His dad and my dad played and gi- played gigs and bars around town here together, so
3: <laughs> it goes way wow. right
2: back. And I think yeah. that it was a uh, the last missing piece of the puzzle that just solidified this band into doing something special. When I joined the band, I came in singing darker minor kind of melodies and stuff. And I remember Head freaking out, going, "That is so bad." He liked it, and everybody really. Really dug what I was doing, and it kind of shifted the band in a more darker direction as we more as we played and we worked with Ross Robinson and yeah. did that stuff. It, it it honed itself into something different.
0: Absolutely, and and when you guys had some success, and um, I'm sure you know there was a little bit of success with some other projects. You know, people maybe were in at some somewhat, but y- you know, you guys got on these early tours, and there must have you must have been feeling this hype because everyone was talking about your band. That yeah. was, was always that was always the situation
2: whenever we played anywhere. Even when we played like local shows around Huntington Beach, because that's where we lived, and there was only like twenty people there. Sometimes even ten people there. Those people would go talk and tell their friends, and they would just slowly grow. People yeah. did not know what to think when we start playing. They're like, "What in the fuck is this?" If you look at our early on in our careers, before we even signed. One of our biggest shows was at the Shrine Auditorium, opening it up for the Cadillac Tramps, the Offspring, and Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> we played punk rock shows, we yep. played industrial shows, we played metal shows. It was all over the fucking place because they didn't know what the hell we were. So, well, that's right.
0: Because it was you know, cool. It's super cool because then all of a sudden everything got convoluted. And and my next question is, you know, your your first two records, you influenced. How do I say this? Some very bad music. I mean, yeah. you know, there was so many corn copycat bands, and I'm from Canada, so this this wasn't just around California. No, you know, everybody. We, we would do. That. I was in. I was in a punk band, and uh, you know, it would be we'd be thrown on one of those all-day festivals with 20 bands, and 19 uh-huh. of them would be trying to be corned.
2: It's crazy. I never. <laughs> we like didn't know what we were doing. As cool it's as that is, though, I mean, it's very cool but that was just, this, it just happened. It just, sometimes in the universe, man, you just don't, it just shit happened. There's no like formula that I think, I mean, I can it from our influences and stuff like that, that really inspired the band for what we did to, to subtly infuse hip hop with groove heavy grooves and all that it just came with like, I think collectively all of us, what we listened to. Yeah. Um, the band was really in the faith, the more hand raising this machine and the red hot chili peppers and Mr. Bungle.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, those kind of things. And me, I was a fucking new romantic kid. I'm from the 80s. All my shit was, my my favorite band is Duran Duran. <laughs> and all the stuff of the, the the new wave movement of the 80s, the new romantic movement of the 80s. So I'm really not, the only metal shit that I was into was, they wanted me to do heavy shit it was like Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. That right. that album changed my life when it came to wanting to do heavy music. So I think just all of our different influences made made corn and that's what we, we just played what we did from our heart and it just came out that way
0: absolutely and it's, it's cool now because you guys have done so much and you've, you've evolved your sound so much and you've never stopped you Mm-mm. never broke up and came back and you know but you've always kind of embraced all the parts of your career Yet, you know, so many of the people that have kind of come in and sort of tried to be you and sort of watered down your sound and, and you know, called it new metal or whatever, they all disappeared. And I yeah. always thought, you know, I always thought maybe the album Follow the Leader was kind of... A bit tongue-in-cheek about that, about those bands kind of trying to be you guys.
2: Oh, it totally was. Yeah, you know, named that was Phil and he was being an arrogant prick, <laughs> like he only could be at that time. He's a sweetheart now, but back then he was out of his mind.
3: Sure. And
2: that was just like a dig. Yeah, yeah come on, fools follow the leader. Right. <laughs> it, that's where that. That's where that came from. Honest to God. Yeah. No,
3: I mean, it was a, it was I guess a dig, and all those
2: people trying to be uh be us and and lo and behold that album goes a silica records and be our biggest record of some funny shit
0: it was and it was a big departure for you guys too at the time it was a different record i gotta be i gotta be honest when i heard it because i you know i like the first two records so much when i heard that record i was like i don't know like i i have to listen to this a couple more times to wrap my head around it
2: you yeah but that, you know was different is that it was the first record we didn't use ross Wow. the first two records were with Ross Robinson and he was serious in this direction we all came up with but then we're like man how are we gonna fucking you know keep doing different shit if we use the same people to you know to, to create the shit with other than the band you know the producers mm-hmm. so that's when we we wrote Follow the Leader by ourselves we didn't even have a producer in the studio with us we had a guy come in later Steve Thompson and the reason he got we had all these people coming, people that uh, guys that um, produced No Doubt stuff I mean oh, just all kinds of different shit and steve thompson came in the only reason he got the gig is because he brought a case of beer that is the only reason he's all he came in with a case of beer he set it down and goes let's make a record guys and i like you're hired and that's it i swear to god that's
0: how he was hired that's great man all the kids listen to this you want to yeah you want a job yeah just bring the band's beer and everyone we
2: were young stupid idiots so that's
0: you know, come on. But he did, he
2: came in, but we already had everything written. And so then we went in the studio and we did the record, and it just came out different because it was just us by ourselves. You know, we already done those two records. The first record came out successful, and they wanted to get us off the road, another record done, and back out on the road. So like is Peachy, we did that in the three and a half months, I think. Yeah. It was really rushed and really quick. And then we came off that tour. And we decided that we wanted to do something, and that's when we decided we're going to use a different producer, and boom, this is history.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's to, like I said earlier, twentieth anniversary of Falling the, the leader, and what I think was a polarizing record, but apparently not. It was very successful. Um, Twenty years later, how do those songs feel? Is there anything you would go back and change? It's
2: a great. No, I mean it's a great record. I wouldn't change anything other than the stupid ass songs on there that we did when we were hammered out of our minds like which I mean, ones there's like camel and fall in the family that's just the effects of a lot of alcohol
0: <laughs> and so you that's guys why are we're doing saying, well you guys are doing some gonna, tours or are you going to play those songs
2: we're doing we're playing three three shows to celebrate it yeah three shows in small little places to celebrate it and we're gonna do that in, in its entirety, but we, we, me and the guys are looking at each other, going, "This is some stupid shit." <laughs> well, I, w- I don't want to play this. Do you want to play this? They're like, "No." So we're gonna do the best of cuts. So we're gonna do all the ones that are actual songs, Let's right? Put it that way,
0: right, right, right. Now that's that's funny. I forget what it was. I I remember what it was. Now I saw um, it was No Effects we were playing at the um, Montebello uh, Rock Fest, you know, and they mm-hmm. were supposed to do you know their record, Punk and Drublick. From start to finish, or whatever, and they were playing, and they said, "You know what? Fuck it, we don't want to." And people were like, "That song?" And they go, "No, that's that song's not on that record." Like, full well knowing it's on the record. <laughs> right. So you know, it's like in the end, it's your it's your band. You, you know, do yeah. what you want.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's just, we don't want to just bore people with this horrible music that we think's horrible. So we're gonna use we're gonna do the majority of the record just the best because we're just gonna cut out the stupid shit that we put in because we were drunk. There
0: you go. I think that that's totally reasonable. Uh, so another thing about your band too is is just the amount of mainstream success that you guys had, and I wonder, yeah. you know, I, I don't I don't even know what label you signed to initially. It was Immortal Records. And, okay, so kind of more of a heavy, kind of a metal record. But were there any expectations at all that you guys no. were going to like get on the radio?
2: No. <laughs> like, were, <laughs> how, you must have been
0: thing. so surprised.
2: Well, I will never forget when I first heard my blind on the radio. That was back in the day when the KNC was still on, on the air, and they picked it up. And then we went on our first tour with House of Pain and Biohazard, going around touring that, and radio started to pick up on it. The heavier radio stations, because back then there was heavy stations back then. Yeah, it wasn't called Active Rock or this and that. There was actual metal stations, and okay. uh, it started just building steam. It 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 just I mean, it was a slow rise, but you know, I guess we're doing something different was so different, so new for this, for the scene at the time. It just worked. And we had a great staff with immortal and immortal was through Epic records. So Sony music, we had their machine behind it it really, you know, the leader and all the other stuff. It was Richard Griffiths was the president of Sony music at that time. And Dave glue was the chairman of Sony music and all these big wigs at those, at the label really believed in us. And, uh, they stayed out of our way. They weren't trying to tell us what to do. We just did what the hell we wanted, and they went out and did their job and actually built this band. So I, I, a lot of the credit goes to that that label. They really believed in us and really, really stepped forward. And, and the management we had at the time were like cutting edge, and that ended up turning into the biggest management company in the world called The Firm. Yeah. We started out with those guys, and they were unorthodox, too. So it was it was a big, huge effort all around. From the labels to management and to us, a lot of that just was all different.
0: You know, and I this I, I kind of want you want to get your take on this because around the time that you guys started to pick up some steam and get some you know get popular in your early days was just about the time that the biggest metal band in the world, Metallica, was mm-hmm. going soft. And yeah, I, I wondered, in
2: trouble for talking shit about that.
0: Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not asking you to talk shit. I'm asking no, I'm you. I'm asking if, if you think that that had any reactionary, you know, um, to your sound because Metallica comes out and Lode comes out and they've cut their hair and everyone's like, these guys are fucking pussies. I want to listen to heavy shit. Where's my real heavy shit? And your band is there. And I mm-hmm. always wondered how, if that, if you ever thought about that as, was like, as, as Metallica and the big metal bands are starting to go soft, you're playing this heavy music and kind of like, you're the real metal at this point.
2: Yeah, with us, we didn't care about Metallica or any metal music in general. Right. Um, We had bands that we loved, which were like, again, which I didn't think were metal bands. The most metal band that we really were inspired by was Sepultura. Yeah. But um, other than that, we were something different. And that's why we always were fighting against this metal. Metal, we're going to do this metal, this, that metal. We tried so hard to get around that and be with alternative bands and stuff like that, which we did for a while, but it didn't work and. We were not a metal band in the sense of a Metallica or of yeah. Iron Maiden or that kind of stuff. we were something new, so we always tried to stay away from that. So I didn't really, we didn't care what Metallica was doing. I mean, <laughs> I got in trouble. I said it. I we we got we went on a tour with Metallica, our first Metallica tour. I said something in the press, and they took it and they cut it out. The the of quote. Course. And of they, course, they and did. They, yeah put it all over the arena and the quote was i like metallica better when they were men <laughs> and i felt so horrible and they came up and go were you talking shit and i was all yes i'm sorry <laughs> i was intimidated that's james hatfield and kurt and all those guys right. just looking at me i'm this is my first tour with them i mean i love them now don't get me wrong but yeah that's some shit
0: because was- it was kind of weird what year was that when
2: Load came out, oh, that was wow. just odd. Wow, I didn't yeah.
0: even know you toured with them back then. That's that's funny. I asked that question. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, wild. That's,
2: I, um it was it was weird. It was very weird. So um, it's uh, but I, to this to this day, I love those guys. They've been really really cool to us and took us on a lot of tours. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was weird when those bands were going soft at that time. And uh, you know what? And now that I look back. I'm glad they did. I mean, you can't keep doing the same shit. You get, you get bored. And that's all oh. they were doing. They were trying to evolve, yeah. trying to figure it out, and more power to them.
0: No, absolutely, man. Um, you guys have never stopped, like we, we, <clears throat> we talked about, and you never, you've never stopped evolving, just like you know mm-hmm. just like you're talking about how you have to change do you think that that's the secret as to why you're still so relevant and you're not playing you know casinos or or you know headlining some kind of new metal throwback tour
2: <laughs> i think so i think it was our passion to just to create and keep creating different kinds of music and not giving into that pressure to do the same thing over and over because because it was successful yeah we've we've knocked some out of the park and we've failed miserably on a couple of the people who hated but you know at least we have the balls enough to go and try yeah and that's one thing I've always respected about our band is everyone's got the balls to try some new shit and different shit we don't care if it's good then it's good in our opinion and that's what we're going to stick to. And then there's some the people that play are very safe and they want to do the same thing over and over again. And it works for some band. There's a perfect example of ACDC. You <laughs> <We laughs> sure. know what you're getting, we get an ACDC record, but that works for them. They're fucking the shit. Right. But for Korn, it, we just wanted to switch things up and keep being experimental. And Like I said, sometimes we took it way too far yeah. <laughs> and it didn't work. Oh. But hey, we, at least we tried and we had, you know, we had the opportunity to keep going and and make more records to make up for
0: that. No, no, absolutely. And I always wonder about that AC/DC drummer. Like he's been on autopilot playing the same beat for like forty years. Yeah, but
2: he does it <laughs> perfect.
0: <laughs> he does do it perfect. But I always thought like. That's a gig. I could, I could get that gig. That would, that would be a lot of fun just to be, all right, ready? Here we go. Here you
3: go. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> uh, one thing you did that, that was pretty unexpected. I thought, uh, was the unplugged. Yeah. But it came up pretty cool. How, how did that come about that idea?
2: Well, we'd done some, uh, we'd missed around doing some stuff acoustically. I think we did thing AOL sessions back when they did it and we did an acoustic oh, yeah. thing. And, uh, we, we always liked to experiment. We weren't going to turn our back on a, on a challenge. We're like
3: how That's are we going to present? That is how are we going to present
2: corn acoustically?
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and we did it, man. We went in rehearsals for a month and just dissected our songs and the different parts and, um, doing all these different arrangements where we had like a saw player and we had strings, we yep. had Japanese taiko ensembles. We had different, uh, different, you know, different players um, come in um, with us. Originally, it wasn't going to be um, what was it? I don't think it was going to be Amy Lee or um, this. The Cure. We had originally yeah. was Chester, Bennington, and, oh, wow, and Metallica. <laughs> wow. Metallica wow. was going to do a mashup of Master of Puppets and another one of our songs. We were, we were going to work <laughs> it out. And then... Uh, um,
0: crazy <laughs>
2: so it was badass we had it worked out it was badass but to the night before me and monk were supposed to go to their studio james and and Lars called me and said man we're in the studio and and we're doing so good we can't break i'm sorry to do this to you but we can't make it so we're like fuck okay what's next and um uh the second choice was the Cure. I was like, "What about the Cure?" This <laughs> is—I know it's off. but That was my other favorite band, and we asked them and at the last minute. They came in, and they're like, "Of course, we'd love to do this." And I'm wow. like, "That is the, the craziest shit. Corn and the Cure—that there's no more fucking light, dark, polar opposite kind of shit." And we got together in New York and, and rehearsed that thing, and they came over, and it was just brilliant. It's one of the highlights of my career is being able to fucking sing with Robert Smith, man come on it's fucking ridiculous it was yeah. so cool and so that's how it came about and then we worked with the Tycho taiko ensembles I had my old part, well, scoring partner Richard Gibbs did this, the arrangements for the saw player and the strings
0: and we, yeah. we put a
2: whole big huge production together and I remember MTV was just blown away on how much um we had done
0: and how much you prepared yeah absolutely
2: um they are like wow we've never had something like this <laughs> and at that time it was, it was a pretty big deal um when it was said and done, we thought it was brilliant and amazing, and we love still to this day. And it just came out to mixed reviews. So a lot of the heavy metal purists were like, "Oh, you sell out, you fucking soft," you know how they are, right. and that's fine. And whatever. It, for us, we wanted to make some cool art, and we did, and so we were very happy with it.
0: Absolutely. No, very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, you you brought up Chester of Lincoln Park, and mm-hmm. you know you've lost a lot of colleagues recently you know other singers yeah. of prominent bands suicide overdoses i'm sure a lot of them were friends of yours yeah and it's become it's become a fucking epidemic i mean i I've always felt like one of your main messages to your fans was sort of you're not alone and you've wanted right. people to communicate their darkness and right. you've done a good job of using corn as your own personal outlet as well so what's your take here with, you know, losing your colleagues and, and what do you have it's to say?
2: Horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. The real bad thing about all that going on is these guys and and girls, I mean, everybody usually goes ahead in, into suicide. It's, if you've never been in the pre- depressed or in the thralls of a great depression, you know what it feels like, but you literally fucking can't live anymore. It's yeah. horrible and you always feel like the world will be a better place if you're gone and all those things and those things go and one of the reasons i got sober is because i had those those thoughts all the time and when you're fucked up it's a lot it gives you liquid courage it gives you courage Mm. to follow through with stuff that's it's a mixture of mental illness depression and substance abuse you mix those two together and that's why people die and that's the god honest truth and nothing's changed this has always been going on we're just in an age where fucking a tick and fart somewhere in the whole world knows about it. You know, right. You got information instantly, Instagram, everything. So I think more and more awareness is coming up because everybody's seeing it and we're more connected, but this is not a new problem. This has been going on forever. No. And it's sad. And I wish there was more ways to, to help people, but there's not. And you know, what pisses me off is the fucking laws in this country are so fucked up when it comes to mental illness it's so fucked up when you see people that are hurting or depressed and you cannot get them the help they need because they have to go in under their own uh, recognizance you know what i mean right. they have to say i need help when you're sitting there watching someone kill themselves slowly and you're begging anyone a doctor anyone please help me help this person they nope they have to want to help themselves fuck you what the fuck am i supposed to do then Right. That's the problem in this country. That's what's going on. I know ch- laws were changed back in the day because I think women and, and people that weren't supposed to be institutionalized are using it to get them locked up. And I get that. But there needs to be a way. I know you can call like the cops and say they're going to hurt themselves and they day 5150 and for, for three days. But I don't know if that's enough, man. And, and there's not there's so many loopholes. I've been through it personally. I know what's yeah. going on. I wish there was a way people could get help or, you you know, your loved ones could help them and take them out of that, get them the help they need by force, hopefully, or get them in this place where they can think more clearly and then they can go from there and try to fix themselves. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I'm sure you've seen it all. So, you know, and you have a lot of understanding about this. I know. So, you know. I know. Which loss was the toughest for you of, of some of the people that we've lost recently?
2: I mean, any life is tough. I mean, my yeah. friends. Yeah. I was closest with Chester. That just this guy was in shock. I'm like, "Are you kidding me right now?" I won't ever forget that. I just was speechless. And then the next thing, in my brain went to his children. Yeah. And his wife. This is his family. Yeah. And but I can't hate him because I literally have been there. I'm like, oh if i kill myself my kids are gonna get paid because i got a fat (laughs) life insurance uh, policy and they'll probably be better because i'm just a piece of shit and all i do is relapse or all i do is cause them harm because i'm this or i'm depressed and i'm just a bummer so i think by doing this this is going to be the best thing all around and that's what you honestly that's what honestly goes through your head at least in my situation that's what was honestly going through my head yeah damn that's- you're not in your right mind at the time never and that I was doing that I was straight ass sober now throw some drugs in on that imagine what you do yeah and then that's the liquid courage right there or whatever it is Xanax alcohol cocaine all that it gives you courage to do shit that you
0: shouldn't do damn, damn man okay well let's switch it up here <laughs> let's go somewhere okay, else dark. Cool. Uh so 25 years of corn I felt like this was an appropriate uh, question maybe it's a stupid question I'd love to get your take on looking back after twenty-five years, which of the corn records is your favorite? And maybe which one is your least favorite?
2: My favorite corn record hands down is um Untouchables. There's a record that we made that was couldn't be made in this day. We spent over four million bucks doing that and most of that money <laughs> wow. went, most of that money went to keeping our entire crew on <laughs> retainer for two and a half years. <laughs> that was the mistake number one. Um, And, but we spent two and a half years with an amazing producer, Michael Beinhorn in recording in different studios. I did it in Canada. I I, I recorded some of the vocals up in Vancouver and Horseshoe Bay Wow! and I'm digging that. And I, but then I got bummed out. I was too pretty and too amazing because I go on boats all day and cruise around the Bay and all that. It just got, that wasn't the right vibe, so we came back and I finished doing <laughs> vocals in the village in uh, Hollywood, but or in Los Angeles. Um, but that that album is perfect. It's, I call it the heavy metal Asia, sonically. You know, when you hear Asia from Steely it's that is yeah. a perfect record. Yeah. Okay. I think this one for heavy music is that sonically, and, the, and for us, one of the best musically. It's just unreal how good that sounds and how much work we put into it um so that's that one untouchables and then awesome. my least favorite <sighs> probably take a look in the mirror okay because take a look at the mirror was a reaction to what we did with uh untouchables we spent two and a half years we did all that and that was the only album we ever did where we self-produced it i mean right. some of the songs are really cool and that sonically it sucks we did it in my home studio and it just we lacked, I helped produce it with the band, and we just didn't know what the hell we were doing.
0: Isn't it I mean, funny, though, how, how you can go a, from, from just extremes, yeah. like, like one record to yeah. the next, best to yeah. worst, and, and totally it's different the approaches?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, that's, I think the, those are the two. I don't want to make excuses. I mean, I like the records. I mean, there's, I love them all. They're like my kids, but those, right. the uh, Take a Look in the Mirror is my least favorite. Right,
0: right on. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you know we we were supposed to talk i think it was like 2 weeks ago or something and i was uh i was on my way right right before i was about to do the the, the talk with you i was going to the Rob Zombie Manson show right on and i wanted to ask you about the J Devil project and okay. i know you know you did the collaboration with with Rob Zombie uh uh-huh. you know remixing the track is that uh anything you're going to keep doing and i know uh, your kids are, are into that, you know, DJ kind of stuff. So I was wondering how, how you were, uh, where that was at, that project.
2: I mean, the, the j double thing's taking a risk. That was, that was like 2012. I was a, that was a fun time in my life. I got to go out and be a DJ. Cause I, I started out DJing back when I was 16, 17, being more of a turntablist yeah. and more like high school dances. And I, and I was really into the shit called New York freestyle music. And that was like in the eighties the and early nineties, that music was going on. So that was my thing. But, um, that was a cool thing. It was a cool project, but it's done. He might, you know, I might turn into him once in a while. <laughs> just for fun. But, um, that was just really, it was cool. I had a good time.
0: Yeah. That's it's kind of funny though. How, you know, you're, you're into DJ music when you're 16, 17 and now your kids are around that age. And, well, yeah, my and son, that's what he too. does. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Nathan, I think was just there at a festival in Canada doing some stuff. So
0: oh, he's, cool. uh,
2: yeah, he's he's doing awesome with that.
0: Very cool, man. Very cool. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I got a couple fan questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. And I'll let you go. Uh, I got one here from looks like Nicholas Schutz Schultz. Okay. I think he might be German. Uh, he around. wants. To, he really, really wants to know how he got hooked up in the studio with Skrillex. How did that happen?
2: How did that happen? Well. The first time that I ever talked to Sonny was when he was in First to Last, and yeah. he picked me. Revolver did this series. Uh, it was like, up and coming band gets to interview their idol, and oh, at that wow. time, Sonny picked me to be interviewed, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, this is a trip!" Yeah. So we did that interview, and he did. It was a really cool piece. Little yeah, I know that's that he was the electronic. It was into the dance music, and I know he did stuff because we were friends with a producer that produced. Um, he produced "See on the Other Side" and "Untitled," and now he's Print Reznor's partner, Atticus oh. Ross. Oh
3: yeah!
2: Oh so, yeah! Um, Atticus did some shit with Sonny, and um, that's how I hooked up. And I knew of the stuff he was doing. So, and um, I got asked about getting involved in a project with uh, with Excision too, and they introduced me to North American dubstep. All this stuff was all new to me and i got really into it and i just i love sunny stuff i heard that before i heard ex- excision stuff and uh like i was so i was like finding rock and roll for the first time or something it was something that was new but it was still heavy yeah. to me right yeah. and i just i called Ack and i got and i got his number and asked if he would be interested in doing jamming with us we want to do we want to do a couple songs and see if it works maybe when we put, we'll make an EP or something. We didn't know it was going to be a record. Um, and he came to the studio twice and we ended up doing three songs and he hooked me up with kill the noise. And he already was hooked up with the Canadian guys, excision and, and Downlink, And, um, then, uh, kill the noise, took me up with feed me, which was four. um, they all have different names. <laughs> Tell <laughs> yeah. those was E one and there was all, when they were doing drum and bass. Anyway, they all hooked it, they were all like this family, they all hooked us up together and we did this crazy Dubstep um metal hybrid and that was when we started that in two thousand late two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah. And we made this record and the band was they could, they 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 heard it. They're like, This is some heavy shit. What is this? So we just all got <laughs> together and the first song we ever did was um, Get Up. And that because it was the first single. So that's how we hooked up with Sonny.
0: Very cool. And that must have been cool for Sonny, too. Uh, he's he's uh, somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a while. I actually had Matt Good of From First to Last on the show a little while back. And uh, Sonny would be great because I go way back with Sonny, too, from the from, the, from the from First to Last days. So he must have loved doing that with you, too. If, you know, if you're oh, yeah, it was amazing. Idol. He must have been on top of the he moon. Was-
2: we were having a good time. He's like, he saw he went, oh my god! He looked at Monkey's guitar. Is that Monkey's guitar. I'm like, yeah, man. How <laughs> so can I touch? It? I'm like, fuck. It. Well, this is this jam. Monk was there? <laughs> we all had a good time. It was, yeah. It was totally innocent. And I know that feeling when I was around, when I first met Simon Le Bon or any of those of my I- idols as a kid. I get it. So we just had a good time. It was a really good, positive experience. We had a good, good time together. It was awesome, okay. and it spawned to
3: more. Okay
2: great art with other guys.
0: I love that, man. And uh, another question from uh, from Mark, Markham King. He asks, mm-hmm. uh, how did they manage to get Robert of Metallica's son to tour with them? And how was that experience having a teenager on tour?
2: Um, it was awesome. Robert came with him. So. Oh yeah, nice. We it, um,
0: talked really a lot about Metallica this in this interview, huh? didn't we?
2: Yeah, well, no, Robert, he wrote Divine with. It. He helped, write The Vine with us back in the day. Really? Barbara You've known him in, that
0: long? Yeah. Like, from suicide Tennessee yeah. and all that.
2: Well, he was in Infectious Grooves, so...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: And at the time, I think David tried out to be the drummer for Infectious Grooves at one time, so that's how we knew Robert. And he was in Huntington. He came in and he wrote that song with us.
0: Crazy. The first one I ever heard.
2: Yeah, The Vine. Wow, yeah. And, um... We've always been friends ever since then. And then I remember being in the airport and he was saying, you got to check out my son. Look at what he did. He played just like me. And he was showing us videos. And I went on YouTube and saw him play. And I think it was Fieldy that had the ideas. Like, I can't make it, but you should get um, Trujillo's son to do it. It would be amazing. And, and dude, it was so cool. He played so good. <laughs> Such a humble, cool kid. Yeah. And he just knocked it out the park. And we- who cares? The corn's all about kids, man. All our imagery is children and stuff like I mean, it's, it just worked. Absolutely. People thought he was going to go up there and be a hack. He was a pro. And uh, How old is he? he made his father very, very, very proud. I could tell.
0: How old is he? He was 12 at that time. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Jonathan, thanks, man, for uh, for doing this. Uh, I guess no what's next? Uh, what's going on next Is there going to be a new corn album at any point?
2: Yeah, we're right. I just got done writing this week with them. We're going to be going in the studio soon. I mean, we're hopefully going to have an album out late next year, maybe summer. Cool. Not sure. It depends we get it all done, but I know definitely next year, if everything goes right, we'll have a new corner. record.
0: Very awesome. Uh, well, I always end this podcast with music. Um, I, I want to play, I'll, I'll play a, a new solo track from your, from your record, but I also want to play your favorite corn song. I don't know if it's something off Untouchables, maybe a deep cut. Uh maybe one that got, you know, lost in the shuffle along the way but you think is a great song. What would you like the people to hear? Oh my
2: god. What's the f- my favorite chord song? <sighs>
0: I don't even know. You put me on. The <laughs> I know spot. I did. It's okay. I'll, I'll I'll edit this so it doesn't seem like a super long gap if you want time to think.
2: Uh do thought I really like Thoughtless.
0: Okay. Thoughtless.
2: That's off of untouchable song.
0: There you go. All right. I'll play that one and I'll play a new solo track. Jonathan Davis, thank you very much for doing this, man.
2: Thanks, brother. And Thanks if you for talk having to me. Sonny,
0: on. Uh, tell him to do my show too.
2: Definitely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Too. Okay, bye bye. See you, man.
0: There it is with JD, the man. It's so great to see him doing so well. All the best to him with all of his projects and continued success. And yes, Sonny Moore, my old buddy, if you're listening to this, if you're out there. Let's do it. (laughs) Thank you again, everybody, so much for tuning in. We've got some great guests coming up. The guys from 4 Year Strong, Zach Wild, Frank Turner, just to name a few. Make sure you're subscribed. Whatever you listen to this on, it doesn't matter to me, but hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed this, please help spread the word. Either tell a friend or check out The Lead Singer Syndrome all access club I will leave you with a couple of tunes, the first one it's a recommendation from the man himself I gotta play it and you know what, maybe check out the music video for this, it features Jesse Pinkman uh, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad as a high school kid, it's quite an interesting video so here it is, Thoughtless by Korn on Lead Singer Syndrome Thoughtless by Corn, and I got to play a Jonathan Davis solo song, and I think I'm going to leave you with this one. It's the closing track on his record, Black Labyrinth, and a bit different if you're used to hearing him in Corn. Here is What It Is by Jonathan Davis. Peace and love. I'll see you next week.
1: Pretty soon you have to deal With the truth behind the way you feel And I'd rather never know I would do anything